The NBA playoffs are heating up, and so is the action at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. With same-game parlays, live betting, odds boosts, and so much more, don't miss out as the NBA postseason winds down. And if you're new to DraftKings, you got to check this out. New customers bet 5 bucks to get 150 in bonus bets instantly. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code ROSS. That's code ROSS for new customers to get 150 in bonus bets when you bet just 5 bucks. Only on DraftKings. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit www.1800gambler.net in New York. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas, 21-plus age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash football for eligibility and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. You're listening to DraftKings Network. It made sense on a few different levels. I think he probably wanted the biggest offer. The Titans were probably willing to give him the biggest offer based on their situation, let's call it, at their past catching spots outside of Traylon Burks. So they had an urgency to get this thing done, and they probably offered him more than anybody else did. It's the Ross Tucker Football Podcast. <laughs> oh, yeah, it is. But it's not just any Ross Tucker Football Podcast. You know I never do that. It is a monster Monday. It's presented, of course, by DraftKings. I am so fired up because I've been trying to get this guy on the show for a long time, but he was selfish, got married, went on a honeymoon. Did everything he could to avoid coming on the show. The best compliment I can give him is that I read his articles or read his articles, whatever, and I would learn stuff. I mean, I played football for 18 years, seven years in the NFL. I would learn stuff from his articles. He's got an awesome, awesome podcast. I'm sure a bunch of you guys check it out. It's the Athletic Football Show. You can check him out on social media like I do. At Robert Mays. It's Big Show time. The Big Show. All right, so Robert, you, you, you're you getting back in the swing of things, man. You had the wedding, you had the honeymoon, and now you, you're like a uh, NFL coach. You timed up your, your summer vacation pretty well. Now you're getting back in the office ready for training camp. It's so many NFL writers that I've talked to when I said I got married on Memorial Day weekend. They're like, I got married on Memorial Day weekend because it's the only time. I mean, it's one of the only times in the calendar that we can kind of freely have a few weeks where we can safely fit in a wedding, a honeymoon, all that stuff. So I think like people who work in the NFL, people who cover the NFL have a lot of things they try to cram in from like May 15th to July 15th. So here we are. There is no question it's funny because my stuff really heats up when the Eagles' first preseason game happened because I do the Eagles' preseason television. So I got less than a month now before I am away every weekend through the Super Bowl. So I will be enjoying the next the next few weekends <laughs> for sure. Um, I think Robert Titans fans enjoyed this past weekend. I, I'm not going to say I'm surprised. But I do want to give you a blank canvas and then dive into the Tennessee Titans a little bit. 
I'll give more of my thoughts on it a little bit later in the show. But they signed DeAndre Hopkins yesterday. Two-year deal. I think the base value is $26 million. The incentives are not that crazy for him to be able to get up to $32 million. What was your reaction, Robert, to that news? It made sense on a few different levels. I think he probably wanted the biggest offer. The Titans were probably willing to give him the biggest offer based on their situation, let's call it, at their pass catching spots outside of Traylon Burks. So they had an urgency to get this thing done, and they probably offered him more than anybody else did. We did a show sometime this spring, maybe post-draft early May, where we were talking about the Titans and how they were kind of this blank canvas, like you said, with a new GM coming in, where you have an aging quarterback, you kind of have this version of the roster that you were able to compete with for a few years is on its way out. Prior last year with Ryan Tannehill, probably your last year with Derrick Henry. And we talked about which direction the Titans could take. You know, is this a full-scale teardown? You know, do you try to compete as you navigate this sort of awkward space that you're in? And the answer is they're trying to compete. They're trying to balance these two things. They drafted a quarterback very high in the second round, so clearly they have a succession plan there. But Ryan Tannehill is still on the roster. They still have a young core of defensive players. So the DeAndre Hopkins signing, to me, feels like they're trying to balance these two different realities. We want to compete and be one of those organizations, Steelers, Seahawks, Ravens, Patriots, that competes year in and year out no matter what. And then we're going to try to definitely transition to this new regime, this turning the page kind of situation with Will Levis. And DeAndre Hopkins kind of serves both of those things. He allows us to be competitive this year with Ryan Tannehill, but also whenever you drop Will Levis in, whether it be late this season, sometime next season, you have DeAndre Hopkins there to kind of make that situation a little bit more hospitable. Some teams struggle to do that. I mean, that's it's hard to balance those two things, but I think that's what the Titans are trying to do here. Yeah, so it's funny, right? Because I I respect what they're trying to do. And I think especially in their division, they can accomplish it. Not necessarily, in my opinion, Robert, at the conference level with some of the teams they go against. But but they absolutely, I think, are good enough where they could win the division while they're kind of revamping a little bit. It feels like, though, there's some danger when you try and – you know, rebuild on the run like this, that you kind of half-ass both, right? Yes. Like, you're not really competing. Like, you're not really going to win the Super Bowl. But also, you're bringing in DeAndre. Like, you're not really rebuilding either. And I don't know, it feels like there's a chance where a couple years from now, we're like, uh, okay, now they got to rebuild, rebuild. You, I think it, I would be curious your thoughts on this. You have to kind of weigh these two different options they could have chosen. Do you trade Ryan Tannehill at some point this spring? You see what you can get for him, and you go the stopgap quarterback route. We've seen so many teams do that this offseason. Jacoby Brissett in Washington, Andy Dalton in Carolina. You could get one of those guys, and then you chase a Will Levis in the draft, and you kind of concede that you know this year we're probably going to win five, six games. Like We're not going to be very good. We have one of the worst offensive lines in the league. This is a transition year. And then you potentially draft in the top five of next year's draft. You can go get a Marvin Harrison or the left tackle from Penn State. You give yourself access to an elite payer, player to kind of rebuild your offense. Or is there value in saying, we don't do that here? We're just not one of those type of teams. You kind of serve the culture you have in the building, and that leads you to pick 14th. You don't have access to those players, but you become one of those places, again, like the teams that I mentioned, where you're competing every single year. Clearly, the Titans think there's more value in the latter, but I think that there's a strong argument to be made that there's probably more value in the former. 
Such a good point. And I think the um, mentality of the head coach is a big part of this. That's it. You know, having played with Vrabel in New England, I just don't think he can go into that locker room and look at Jeffrey Simmons or Bayard or some of these guys and 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 put out a product that doesn't give them a chance to win. I, I just think that that goes against everything he believes in. And, okay, maybe there's some guys on the O-line that were old or were, were, were too expensive that we had to move on from. Maybe we're not going to have Tannehill be the long-term guy. Maybe we'll get a younger quarterback. But we can still win the division. Heck, we almost won the division last year with Malik Willis playing some games and Joshua Dobbs, you know, a, a day after we signed them, like starting in a game. And weren't they like winning that game by yes. by double digits or something? They needed a fluky play. Uh, the Jags did a huge defensive swing late in that game for them to end up winning that game. I, I understand the mindset, and I think it is totally variable driven. The question you have to ask yourself is, are you just trying to win a down AFC South or are you trying to compete? with the real teams in the AFC and does operating this way, give you the best chance to do that. And we've seen teams come out on the other side. And I think that the best case example here is Baltimore where they never bottomed out. They never had that season where they took one on the chin because that's not how they operate either. But when you find a guy like Lamar Jackson with the last pick in the first round, you can kind of jump from one reality to another pretty swiftly. If Will Levis works out, if he ends up being the returns on him end up being a first round quarterback and a good first round quarterback, then you can do this. But I think that that becomes the biggest question now is whether or not he can be that guy. Because by not tanking or not bottoming out at any point, one of the problems is you leave yourself less pathways to a quarterback. If they've already found their quarterback, then that consideration is less important. Yeah, there's a lot of different, very interesting elements that, I mean, I, I was thinking about something I might write over the next couple months, you know, which position coaches are most important. How about the Titans O-line coach? I don't even know who it is. I got I to look it up. He came but... from college. He's not some established guy. I was having the same thought yesterday, so I looked up who it was, and I've never heard of him before because they fired Keith Carter this offseason, who had been there for several years. He's now with the Jets as their offensive line coach and run game coordinator. So it's not some Bill Callahan-esque proven guy that we're talking about here. I think this is somebody who's going to get his first crack as an NFL offensive line coach with arguably the least amount of talent in an offensive line room in the league and a team with designs on making the playoffs. So it is a tall task. Yeah, I mean, you look at them. Their skill is good enough. Their defense is good enough. They, they, need, they need the O-line to play well. I mean, they need those guys to play well enough. Um that's interesting. I also want to ask you, you know, I, I said this, Robert, in the intro. I really appreciate um, the way both when you write and with your show now, you know, you guys really dive in deeper, I feel like, than the surface stuff. Curious where you stand at, with running back value. I mean, we saw it again over the weekend with Joe Mixon taking a pay cut. Today is franchise tag deadline day as of 9.41 a.m. Eastern time. You know, nobody's signed there. Where do you stand with what's going on at the running back position right now? I understand both sides of it. If I'm Saquon Barkley 
and I'm looking at the market and I see that Christian McCaffrey makes $16 million a year. And those top of the market deals at running back were handed out in 2020. It's been three years since a lot of those market setting deals were handed out of the position. And you're watching salaries explode at every other position, some of which we used to consider kind of non-premium positions, right? You look at what's happened with the defensive tackle market. You look at what's happened with interior offensive linemen. And then running backs just kind of sit there left to twist in the wind. Saquon's making $10 million a year on the franchise tag and other guys at the position three years ago were making 16 million and he can't sniff that on an extension. So you want to see the market kind of keep trending in the correct direction when you're the sort of player that has that type of role within the offense. You see Daniel Jones get paid what he gets paid and you're Saquon Barkley and you understood what you were for that Giants team. Like I can't get a $15 million a year extension based on what I was for this offense, but that's the problem. It's what he was for the offense. These deals are about what you're going to do moving forward. And the shelf life for players at running back is just so much different than it is at almost every other position. And Saquon has struggled to stay healthy in the past. So if I'm the Giants, I'm looking at this and saying, I can't give him a deal that's going to be an anvil around our ankle for the next three years as we have to build around a very expensive quarterback. So I get running backs saying we deserve more. This is completely unfair in the way that we're treated and the way these contracts are handed out, especially based on the new rookie wage scale. But if I'm the teams and you look at the track record of what it's been like to hand out contracts like this at the position they just keep consistently getting burned so i don't know what the right answer is but it seems like we have kind of two factors that are pulling this in a in the same very bad direction the right answer is always labat blue light robert drink some labat blue light with me your friends live life to the power of we always enjoy it responsibly of course beer it's labat usa buffalo new york Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, so here's my question, though, Robert, about the running back thing. And Joe Mixon took a big pay cut, and I'll get to that a little bit later. I I, I saw that coming for a long time. After they let P. Ryan go, um, it just seemed pretty clear that they were going to bring Joe back, uh, but not for the amount. At what point do you think the pendulum swings too far the other way? Because I, I, like, you can't watch a Browns game and tell me Nick Chubb doesn't make a difference in the outcome of games, or the Giants with Saquon, or even the Niners when they got Christian McCaffrey. It, you know, to me, I'm wondering, I'm really curious to see how things go in Minnesota without Dalvin Cook and how well he performs elsewhere. Because for those guys to be getting like half what the left guard makes now. I mean, I played left guard like that. That that to me is like, really? Are we sure that that's the right valuation now? 
I think that's a good way to frame it because within an individual game and even within an individual season, these guys can still have immense impact. Nick Chubb is the best example to me. Nick Chubb, in my opinion, is the best pure running back in the NFL. And if you look at the contract that Nick Chubb was given, which was about $12 million a year over that four-year deal, I don't think at any point over the course of this the lifespan of this deal, the Browns have been like, yeah, we shouldn't have done that. But it goes beyond the impact you can have in a single game or a single season. It's about what it projects, what it looks like, and what it projects to moving forward. And I think that's where teams get scared is that it doesn't tend to continue that way. It's a one-year thing. It's a two-year thing. And if you're committing three, four years to these guys, they get deeper into their 20s and into their 30s. There's just a very small chance that you're going to get value back on that contract. And if that that's what teams are prioritizing. So I can understand why they don't want to give them out. But I can also understand why running backs are sitting here saying, how is that reasonable on our end? Like we've we put our bodies on the line. We have these short shelf lives. We should get paid in these short periods of time. But the, they just don't age well. And even if you can have one season or one game with Nick Chubb playing like that, the chances are most running backs over a three, four year span are not going to be able to continue to give you that level of impact. Right. And honestly, from a business standpoint, why would you give a guy 16 million a year, or 13 million a year, if you can get him for, for 10 million with the franchise tag? Yes. And then what's 120% the next year since 12 million? Like you're still way ahead of the game if you just take a one year at a time franchise tag. Exactly. And the the franchise tag for running backs is different than it is for other positions because the shelf life is so short. If you get the tag at most positions, even that fear, that worst case scenario is I get a terrible injury. It's going to affect my market going into the next year. That doesn't happen very often. Even a guy like Chris Gowan, who got tagged, eventually got a market level deal after getting hurt. But with running backs, your ability to get signed and your ability to get paid, it only occurs over a two, three year span. So if one of those years or two of those years are taken up with the tag, it really could impact what your future earnings look like. It's just a different consideration at that position. And it kind of impedes the way the market operates at that position more than any other in the league. And that's why I think it's a pretty big problem. Robert, I also wanted to get into something that you guys have discussed on your show, the athletic football show. And that is some of this play caller stuff, which I know you guys have really uh, dove into. Can you tell me a little bit more about that, that series? So that was Jordan Rodriguez, who is our Rams writer at the Athletic. Okay, yeah. And, and, and you, and okay, I knew that it was somebody at the Athletic, yeah. Yeah, so Jordan, Jordan covers the Rams for us. And, you know, the Rams have been such a fascinating kind of petri dish of football ideas over the last five, six years. You you have Sean McVay come there in 2017 and his coaching tree and his offensive system kind of becomes the offensive system du jour in the NFL where teams are picking off his assistants left and right. You can look at a third of the league now runs some version of that Shanahan McVay offense, but also in 2020, he goes out and gets Brandon Staley because he wanted to kind of face the defensive system that was giving him problems from 2018 on into the Super Bowl, that Vic Fangio type of defense. So the Rams become this kind of laboratory where football ideas get tested out. And so Jordan has written extensively about that. She's written extensively about it very well. So in this series, she kind of delves into the entire history of that coaching family is the way that she describes it. So going back to the 90s with Mike Shanahan and Alex Gibbs in Denver and how that offense came to be. And then going through Kyle's entire history as a coach. Now he was a, that's quality control coach with the 
Bucks in the early 2000s. So he's learning defense from Monty Kiffin, and he's taking some of these play action concepts that Paul Hackett taught him and folding it into what he wants to be. And then they get to Houston, and it's him and Mike McDaniel and Matt LaFleur and Robert Sala. And so it really goes through back the entire history of what this offense was, how it came to be, you know, kind of the schematic evolution of it, but also how personally these guys were affected by these experiences and competing against each other and kind of the real pressure that comes along with being that play caller at the center of how a team succeeds or fails. And uh, Jordan does a fantastic job of kind of delving into all of that over five episodes. We ran it on our feed last week. And if you have not listened to it, I highly encourage you to do it because it is a great kind of audio documentary look at one of the most important stories in the league over the last 10 years. It's funny, Robert, you'll appreciate this. I've told this story before. I'm pretty sure on the show. I've talked with guys at every single position that played for multiple teams, multiple offenses, who have said to me, one-on-one conversations, like, I'm telling you, bro, that Shanahan's offense is just it's designed for O-linemen like me. I'm telling you, like, Owen Daniels, like, it's the whole thing's built around the tight end like me. Andre Johnson, Sage Roosevelt's played like, like, Robert, if every guy in every position – says that the offense is for them and it's the easiest offense for their position, that might be a good offense to have. (laughs) I think that speaks to the level of intentionality that Kyle takes to his work. And they get into that in the series. And every single aspect of a play or one of the – just the components of what the offense is. And that has changed over the years, right? It used to be all outside zone. Now they run a ton of gap scheme runs because of how defenses were playing against them. When Kyle would put in plays over the last 10, 15 years as an offensive coordinator, head coach, play caller, every single aspect of the play would have to have an answer. You know, it's like, well, if they do this, then what happens when he was asking somebody about it? And like, well, they would never do this. And that was never a good enough answer. So if every single detail of the play has a reason behind it, then you would feel that way because as a receiver, you would think, well, he's doing this for me. If no matter what the defense does, I'm going to be able to kind of execute my job. So the level of detail and level of specificity to it, I think that's probably why every guy at every position feels that way. Check him out on social media. As you can tell, he is excellent at Robert Mays. He's the host and showrunner of the athletic football show. And I know a lot of you probably remember him from Grantland and The Ringer as well. Robert, thank you so much for the time, man. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. Anytime, buddy. Great to chat with you. I also really appreciate West Shore Home. You know why? Because our upstairs bathrooms are amazing. They replaced both upstairs fiberglass tub shower all-in-one deals in one day. Got them out early. They, they, the, the tearing out part is easy. It's the putting the new stuff in that took the rest of the day. But then it's beautiful. And think about how much time you spend in the shower. Think about how much time you spend in your bathroom. Might as well have something nice that you like, that you're proud of. And you might as well get into our next best ball draft, which is going to have a huge prize that I'll be announcing shortly. Get free estimate. And right now you get free installation. Installation's not cheap. So get free installation on a new shower or bath replacement with West Shore Home. When you go to my special page, westshorehome.com slash Ross. That's westshorehome.com slash Ross. You deserve it. Ducks takes. All right, Ross. We'll start with the Jets. They signed defensive tackle Quinn Williams to a new four-year $96 million deal with $66 million in guarantees. 
Awesome football player. You can argue it's the second most important position in the sport after quarterback. He's 25. He deserves it. In the opposite direction, the Bengals agreed to a restructured deal with Joe Mixon, who takes a significant pay cut over the next two years. You know what, though? He's still the starting running back for one of the five best teams in football. He gets to stay where he was. He's still making millions of dollars. And he probably realized he wasn't going to get any more than that anywhere else. So I give Mixon some credit there for swallowing his pride a little bit and realizing this is the best situation for me. Speaking of running backs, today is franchise tag deadline day, and the Jaguars signed their franchise tag tight end Evan Ingram to a three-year $41.25 million deal with $24 million guaranteed. So I don't know if any of the deals will get done for the running backs. If I had to guess, I would say Saquon Barkley gets the closest. And there's been so much noise there, Jack, it almost makes me think it's going to happen. I think the Giants want him to be happy and and secure there. So I'm going to predict the Saquon deal gets done. But I might be wrong because of what Robert and I talked about in terms of the two franchise tags. Speaking of the Giants, how about they had Evan Ingram? They drafted him. So talented. Couldn't get anything out of him hardly. So inconsistent. Goes to Jacksonville. Now he gets that huge contract. Good for him, man. I mean, there's a lesson there in stick-to-itiveness if you're Evan Ingram and that, you know, believe in yourself and you can still get life-altering money. I'm happy that it worked out for him. And at long last, the DeAndre Hopkins saga is over. The Titans signed him to a two-year, $26 million deal with $6 million in possible incentives and a $12 million base salary this upcoming season. I'm going to make this my Labatt take of the week. Jack, presented by Labatt Blue Light, the pristine Canadian Pilsner. Enjoy your beers together so you can live life to the power of we. Always enjoy responsibly beer. Labatt USA, Buffalo, New York. Three things that stand out to me about DeAndre Hopkins signing with the Titans. Number one, he's clearly not ring chaser. Guess what? I don't blame him, especially in the AFC. You know how tough it is? I don't care what team you look at, the Bengals, the Chiefs, to repeat, that's really hard to do, the Buffalo Bills, very small percentage chance that you'll pick the team that wins the Super Bowl this year. So I have no problem with him not ring chasing at all. Not at all. Number two, this is what happens. Happens all the time in the NFL. When you make a major mistake, like the Titans did, by not paying A.J. Brown, a lot of times – you have to keep trying to atone for that mistake. They drafted Traylon Burks. Maybe he'll be really good. Maybe he won't. Was okay last year. They signed DeAndre Hopkins. They're still trying to make up for what they lost with with, with losing A.J. Brown. And then number three, Titans are trying to win that division. Titans are really interesting, right? You know, when they draft Will Levis so high in the second round, when they go young on the O-line, you're like, oh, Titans are rebuilding. Uh Uh-uh. I don't think Vrabel would allow them to rebuild. I don't think Vrabel wants to look at Jeffrey Simmons and Bayard and those guys in the locker room and rebuild. Titans are trying to win at least that division this year. Other than that, Jack, I am very pumped for even money tomorrow going over some of the college football bets and strategy that Steve Fezzik already has come up with. Have a great guest 
on Wednesday. Should be joined by J.C. Treader, the NFLPA president here on the Ross Tucker Football Podcast. It's going to be a great week. I think we're done here. Thanks for listening to the Ross Tucker Football Podcast. Make sure to also subscribe to the Fantasy Feasts, Even Money, Business of Sports, and College Draft. All available at Apple Podcasts, RossTucker.com, or wherever podcasts can be found. You know how I do it. Love to give some shout-outs at the end of every show to listener-owned businesses like MyFrontPageStory.com. By far the best gift you can get a loved one ever. Birthday, anniversary, just because. MyFrontPageStory.com. Then you have BackOfficeScheduler.com. Go-Bangles.com. SteakhouseSports.com. HumanHeadNYC.com. Sportaculture.com. And Pizza Boy Brewing.